Welcome to Smart Talk. I'm Scott Lamar. What's the difference between a mental and physical illness? Well, a mental illness affects the brain, while a physical illness presents itself in other parts of the body. But maybe the biggest difference, though, is Americans will talk about most physical ailments they have, but will often stay quiet or not even seek treatment for a mental illness or disorder. That's why what the Central Pennsylvania-based American Mental Health Wellness Association and its partners are doing is so important. They've launched a website and kind of relaunched themselves. It's a one-stop shop for mental wellness. Joining us today is Sharon Engdahl, who is the executive director of the American Mental Wellness Association. Ms. Engdahl, welcome to the program. Thank you very much. Also joining us is Alexa Moody, who is an assistant director, but also founder of Please Live. And we'll talk about Please Live in just a few minutes. Alexa Moody, welcome to the program. Thank you, Scott. If you have a question or a comment, give us a call, 1-800-729-7532. Send an email to smarttalk at wi tf.org. I say this often because um, I've heard this from our audience that, uh, you know, we need as a society, we need to talk about mental illness, mental wellness much more often. And that's what we're doing today is to shine a light on this. And Sharon Engdahl, that's what uh, you're trying to do with, and when I say relaunch, we'll get into all of that, what started earlier this month, the website and, uh, you know, what you're doing as far as going nationally and not just in Pennsylvania. But tell us a little bit about your background, how you got involved and why mental wellness, mental illness became such a passion for you? Well, I could talk all day about that, but I'm going <laughs> to try really to shorten it. But really, Well, when I was a senior in high school at Hershey High School, they brought a behavioral social science class into us because Penn State Harrisburg was just starting um, a behavioral science um, curriculum. And um, Hershey's so close to Penn State Harrisburg, so they had this additional class for us to choose as an elective. And I chose it. And I fell in love with behavioral science. And I learned everything uh, in that class. And, of course, I, I got an A. <laughs> and then um, a few years All later. All these years later, you're still yeah. bragging about that yeah, A. Yeah, yeah, yeah <laughs> absolutely. And I, I thought, oh, my gosh, I found something I really like. And then... Um, I guess that was in 1970 when I graduated, and then in 1977, my sister got sick, and they had just passed the 1976 Mental Health Procedures Act, and um, no one in my family knew how to help my sister. She was at college, and we got a call. She was really ill, and so I had to go pick her up, and I brought her home, and um, she wasn't getting better. What do you mean, ill? I mean, be be a little more well, specific if she, you can. Well, we just got a call from the college saying, you've got to come pick up your daughter. My mother did. She was a widow. And um, she's just ill. And so I didn't know. So when I went to get her and I started seeing her um, having these signs and symptoms that um, appeared to be what I had learned in behavioral science class, um, I talked to her. And at one point, she was so sick, she was like, you know, rocking back and forth and listening to voices. And she had been going to a psychiatrist and had pills, but she was hiding them. Now, remember, this was back in the 70s. I was pregnant with my first child. And so uh, at one point, I just said, you know, honey, you're you're pretty sick, and I think you need to go to the hospital. I do. I said, yeah. Would you go with me? Yes. So I put her in my car. I'm five years older than her. I was her sissy. I changed her diaper, taught her how to, to climb a tree, and um, we were inseparable And um, from birth, from her birth. And um, 
my mom would say, why don't you go out and play? And I, I said, I, I want her to love me best. And so I stood right by her. And I was a tomboy, so that was really out of character. So I, I took her to the hospital, and um, the doctor there said, your sister's really sick, but we can't do anything for her because um, she won't sign herself in. And the new law it requires you to um, be a danger to yourself or others uh, uh, for us to do an involuntary commitment. And we don't think she is. And I knew the new law because I was passionate. I was interested in this. So to make a long story short, we walked the halls of the hospital for two hours. And um, I finally said, Mary Ellen, why, why won't you, you know, sign yourself in to the hospital? She said, I'm not sick. I said, you're not sick. Oh, no. And for some reason, I said, well, who is sick? And I think that was my background that I had learned in this behavioral science class. And, uh, oh, he's really sick. I said, he is. She said, yes, he's really sick. I said, well, don't you want him to get help and get well? Oh, absolutely. I said, well, in order to do that, you need to sign yourself in. I do? Oh, I'm going to do that. And the doctor had said to me, Sharon, if you get her to sign herself in, you walk past everybody in the ER and find me. And so I did. I opened those doors, and I walked by everybody in the ER, and I found him. And um, he's a prominent, prominent uh, doctor in, in Harrisburg now, but at that time he was a resident. And um, he helped me get her help. But then we walked up the steps to a locked ward, and I said, what did I do? And uh, she needed to be there, but I didn't want her to be there. And so um, that's how I got started in this. And I have a passion for it, and I'm working for a cure in my lifetime. And we'll talk about that, too. But, uh, uh, Alexa, what about you? <laughs> well, um, it's it's always a complicated response. <laughs> Most people get into mental health and mental wellness because of a personal experience, as Sharon just shared with us. And mine is similar, except I was the one that was actually sick. Um, depression runs in my family. And so I actually first started experiencing signs of depression when I was nine years old, which surprises a lot of people that you can actually be depressed that young. And so yeah, I, I've seen that, uh, you know, people talk about that as a myth because there are yes. many people that will say that children can't be depressed. Right. Exactly. Well, here I am. <laughs> I was definitely depressed when I was nine. And um, I didn't I didn't know what was wrong with me. I had no idea because people don't typically talk about depression with elementary aged students. And you don't typically learn about mental health in school to begin with. And so between the ages of nine and about mm, 13, 14-ish, around where puberty hits, um, I, I struggled in silence because I didn't know that anything was wrong. I had no idea. And so puberty hit, and it was like running into a brick wall. <laughs> and so all of those symptoms of depression just exploded. And so between uh, puberty and you know my freshman year of high school, that depression just it just it it increased exponentially that's what i'm trying to say it exponentially increased and by the time i was a freshman in high school i was at a place that i call passively suicidal and what that means is i wanted to die and i i hated being alive and i i very much wanted to die but i wasn't actively trying to take my life i didn't have a plan i didn't make any suicide attempts but I definitely, I wanted, I thought about suicide and I wanted to kill myself. And so one day I kind of had this moment of clarity that was like, hey, Alexa, 
it's not normal for a 14-year-old girl to be thinking about death this much. And so I ended up going to my parents and saying, you know, this is how I'm feeling. And lo and behold, I find out that depression runs in my family. And I didn't know before that. So luckily, my parents had the perfect response, and they got me in to see a counselor, and I was able to get the help that I needed, and I got better. What kind of symptoms were you exhibiting? And maybe this is a good time to talk about the symptoms of depression. Oh, absolutely. Um, especially when I was nine, because obviously your your development kind of determines the symptoms that you're going to be experiencing. So when I was nine, I didn't really understand what stress was. That was kind of too complex of a uh, of, of a thing to understand as a nine-year-old. And so my symptoms when I was nine were actually very physical. I got really bad headaches. I had really awful stomach aches. And I wasn't eating because I was always in pain. So I lost a ton of weight. I was dangerously thin when I was nine. And I ended up going to the doctor's I don't know, twice a month, getting blood work done, getting all of these different tests because no one could figure out why I was so sick. And so it came out physically for me as a nine-year-old. And then as I started getting older and I was able to develop more complex thought, that's when I started struggling with self-esteem issues. And I started believing that I was a burden onto other people. I started believing that I would never amount to anything, that if I did die, no one would really notice. Or people would be sad for a period, but they'd get over it. The world would keep turning without me. And these were all beliefs that just really chipped away at my sense of self-worth. Um, on top of that, I already mentioned kind of the, the appetite thing because I, I felt sick all the time. So my appetite changed. I was tired all the time. I could not have enough energy to get through school. And so these changes in these symptoms, the rule of thumb that I usually tell, especially for parents or that are looking at, at their kids, the rule of thumb I always say is any behavior that is not normal, whether they're sleeping all the time or not sleeping at all, eating all the time, not eating at all, locking themselves away in their room, um, being sad, talking about death, talking about suicide, those are flags that we need to be paying attention to. Anything that is out of the ordinary is really what you want to look at. Sharon, you know, I wanted to, uh, Alexa to talk about that because as she very articulately explained, um, many people may recognize uh, those symptoms, those characteristics, and may just think, oh, because you've heard it, going through a stage. But what I mentioned in the introduction, and one of the reasons that I personally think that this is so important that we have this conversation is because there has been such a stigma when we talk about mental health, when we talk about mental illness. Now, in Alexa's case, she was very fortunate in that she went to parents who understood and got her the kind of help that she needed. But often children, adults, don't get that kind of support that they need. Oh, you'll get over it. You're just, you're just going through a stage right now. Or... Uh, things will get better. You'll find some friends. You'll, you know, things will go, will go better. Talk about that stigma, because that seems to be one of the biggest challenges that we face in dealing with this issue. It, it is heart wrenching for me to know that so many people put off getting prompt, appropriate care at first signs, because it only gets worse. And you might get through a first episode of d depression or a uh, first episode of uh, a high from a, a bipolar experience. But it, you're going to have another one if you haven't treated it 
and it's going to be worse, okay? And we do have a stigma that I think is, you know, slowly fading. But because of the American Mental Wellness Association, we hope that it just completely dies. And soon, because if you had a little black, funny-looking mole on your arm, you wouldn't sit there for weeks and weeks and weeks and say, well, I'm going to get over that. You're going to go get help because of the education of the American Cancer Society as in regards to that mold probably needs to be looked at because it could be a potential serious cancer, right? Well, that's the same thing that we need to do with mental health issues because that prevention and early intervention are scientifically based to work. And so if you know the early signs and symptoms and you're educated on it, which is what the American Mental Wellness Association's mantra is, then you're going to go to your family doctor right away and you're going to have a screening, which is on a piece of paper, and you'd be truthful about it. And that doctor is going to be able to help you immediately. If you postpone your help and you get seriously sick, the family doctor might not be able to help you. And unfortunately, getting in to see a psychiatrist which are few and far between. You may wait a long time. You will wait a long time. So we encourage people on our website and whenever we go out and and speak that immediately go for help, go to your family doctor, make the appointment with the psychiatrist because it's going to be weeks out, but get your care right away from the medical doctor that you need because these are medical conditions, folks. These are biologically based. And if you put it off, You're just going to get sicker. Your job is going to suffer. Your family is going to suffer. And it's going to be harder to restore you. I just want to pop in. The the stigma you were talking about, the discrimination against people with mental illnesses, it... It drives me nuts, and so that's why I... So to speak. Ah, (laughs) Pun intended. It drives me nuts. Very good. Uh, Anyway, we have fun in mental health. (laughs) We do, we do. But um, no, because, you know, we, we... It would be... It's just amazing how we treat physical illnesses so differently than mental illnesses. And the examples I always use, you know, if you break your arm, like people love hearing that story. How did you break your arm? We want to sign your cast. We want to know what happened. <laughs> but if you make a Facebook post that you're having like a really hard week or you're feeling really anxious, like we don't know how to respond to that. We like it, but we, we don't know what to do. Or if someone has to take insulin, to manage their diabetes. That's totally okay. But heaven forbid someone has to take an antidepressant to manage their depression. Ooh, all of a sudden, since it's a mental condition, we have such a stigma with it. And it drives me, pun intended, nuts. (laughs) (laughs) But I'll tell you what, um, the people that I've helped across my 40 years, okay, um, they got well. And I didn't know why they got well, but I, I, I took a mental health first aid. Um, Actually, we had you on the program yes, a while back. and I went that. to Florida and I became one of the first 100 instructors in the country back in 2008 as a mental health first aid instructor. And then I sat through eight hours, five days of instruction to be nationally certified as an instructor. And I thought, oh, my gosh, this is what I've been doing, only except I didn't know I was doing it right this is an evidence-based program, and it's international. And it has just expanded um, by leaps and bounds in, in the United States. But 
helping people, it, there's a little saying, if you replace the I in mental illness with we, you get mental wellness. And so when I talk to people who are very sick and they're in a deep depression, I, I know I try to explain to them that, you know, they feel like they're um, worthless why should I live? Nobody cares, all this kind of stuff. And I said, that's the disease talking. And don't believe that if you can, because actually you're very valuable. And what you're having right now is a very, very deep illness like you would have with a serious cancer illness. So would you be p picking on yourself if you were you know, laying on the sofa because you were suffering from major cancer problem? No they say. I said, well, then please don't be picking on yourself right now. You are suffering a very deep medical condition that is treatable and will take time for you to get well. You're listening to Smart Talk on WITF, your home for NPR News and all things regional. I'm Scott Lamar. Welcome back to Smart Talk. We're talking about mental wellness today, an important topic, and uh, we'd like to hear from you. 1-800-729-7532 is the number to call. If you have an email uh, or you'd like to send an email, send it to smarttalk at witf.org. You can leave a question or a comment on WITF's Facebook page. Again, that phone number is 1-800-729-7532. And I also want to mention that we have links to two websites on our website, WITF.org. We have uh, a link to the American Mental Wellness Association, which we're going to talk about the website in just a moment, uh, and also to Please Live, which we'll also discuss here in just a moment. But uh, if you're listening to this program and you're thinking, you know what, I recognize uh, some of the things that they're talking about, and uh, you've made a decision to get help, or maybe you uh, know someone who is struggling and uh, you'd like to get them help, uh, you can go to the websites and get some information there. Before we take some phone calls and uh, uh, read a few emails here, I just want to talk about the launch itself. Earlier this month, now, Sharon, you started your organization uh, for Pennsylvania in Marysville uh, a, a few years ago, but you decided to go beyond the borders of Pennsylvania and you said something to me before the program that uh, really caught my ear. Uh, you mentioned the American Cancer Society, and you would like your organization to be like that. Yes. Talk about that. Yes, I would. Well, you know, years and years ago, people were discriminated against who came down with cancer issues. And now that's just gone. All right, and we have the American Cancer Society, which is wonderful, and you can go there as one-stop shop and get the help you that you need right away. And when you're sick or you have a loved one who's sick, you don't have time to, you know, basically uh, surf the web. And, you know, you need someone to help you through your sickness, and that we hope to be for mental illness, the American Mental Wellness Association. We, we, we promote four things. Prevention, early intervention, scientific research, and cures. And we are hoping to be exactly what the American Cancer Society is to cancer. The American Mental Wellness Association will be to mental wellness. Mm -hmm. We're excited about it, 
And um, if you get a chance to, please go to the website. Yeah, I, I highly encourage that. I mentioned to you before the program, it is very easy to navigate. Now, Lex, I understand you had a whole lot to do with that. Mm -hmm. And uh, let's face it, there may be people who are going to the website in a crisis situation. So being easy to navigate is, is, is probably one of the keys. But there is so much information there, so much that you can learn about mental wellness, uh, mental illness, uh, that I highly encourage that. Please live. Mm -hmm. Now, this was you're the founder. Alexa. Yes. Talk about that and and why the two of you are have partnered up here. Sure. Um, well, like I said, with with my personal story, you know, I struggled with depression. I struggled with, with thoughts of suicide very early in my life. And when I was a freshman in high school was when I got help and I was able to see a counselor and I got well. And by the time I got better from my depression, I was really interested in mental health because I finally understood, you know, what had been plaguing me for so many years. And so I was very interested in mental health. I really liked the idea of helping people. So I decided to go to college um, for mental health. And specifically, I went for uh, human services with an emphasis on counseling. And that translates into case management is what my degree is. And while I was in college, I think I was in my second semester, there was a a cluster of teen suicides that happened here in our community. There were about six over the course of six months. And I didn't know any of them personally, but I was so torn up about these losses because I know what it feels like to be suicidal, and I know what it feels like to get better. And I was so distraught that this was a, a, a cluster of teens that were about my age that did not get the help that I got and did not have the hope that I was able to find. And so I was so distraught about this. I'm also, I'm a spiritual person. And so I prayed about it. And I, I very clearly heard God tell me that, you know, you got to do something about it. <laughs> and so one of my biggest frustrations was I spent so many years struggling in silence, not even knowing that I was sick. I had no idea because no one taught me about mental health. No one taught me about depression or anxiety. And so I wanted to fill that void that I never had. So while I was 19 and I was still in college, I decided to start my own nonprofit called Please Live. And what we do is we go into schools or youth groups or churches or anyone that will invite us. And we teach students themselves how to identify signs of depression or anxiety or suicide, how to get help, where to go and how to intervene if you're afraid for a friend or if you're afraid for a loved one. So while we were working on that, a huge part of Please Live is we have to network with other agencies. And so I started reaching out to people in the community, counselors and such, and I found Sharon with the Mental Wellness Awareness Association. And she provides mental health first aid, which is such an important part to be able to educate teachers and staff how to identify at-risk students. So we partnered up, ended up getting along really super well. And so Sharon has actually been one of my partner, one of my longest partners with Please Live since I first started. And then she kind of came at me with this wanting to expand for the American Mental Wellness Association and being able to sign on champions to champion for the prevention, early intervention, scientific research and cures. And I said, absolutely, Please Live would love to be part of that. So I'm happy to say that I personally am a champion. And yeah, please what's a live. champion? Explain that, uh, Sharon. Okay. Um, 
I was thinking about how can I expand the Mental Wellness Awareness Association. So for folks that are listening, I just want you to know when I was retiring from the Pennsylvania House of Representatives as a legislative research analyst, my husband said I couldn't unless I started a nonprofit or I'd be unhappy because I did the first mental health insurance law in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania as a staff person, and it's my passion, as I've told you. And so all of a sudden I was going to retire. So we started this state organization called the Mental Wellness Awareness Association. I started that about the same time she started Please Live, and we met and networked, and that's how Alexa and I got together. And I'm I'm very spiritual, too, and I had prayed very hard about that. And I said, please give me a sign if you want me to start this. And um, two or three days later, someone came to me and said, we're going to do your 501c3 for you through a large law firm for nothing. So that's how we got started. And I wrote the mission and vision for that statewide organization in a way that I could expand it sometime to go nationally because that was my dream. And I actually looked to the American Cancer Society, American Lung Association, American Heart Association for their mission and visions when I did that for the Mental Wellness Awareness Association. Make a long story short, um, we expanded. And I was thinking, how can I take this American mental wellness now and make it something that unites all of us? large organizations, small organizations, individuals, corporations, because how can you be against prevention, early intervention, scientific research, and cures for mental health problems? And I said, champions. We just got everybody to sign on as a champion. So I shared that idea with Alexa, and she made it work on the (laughs) website. So you can go into the website. You don't have to change anything you're doing if you're an advocate, an agency for mental health, whatever, you keep doing what you're doing. If you're an individual, sign up as an individual. But if we all unite as and, uni- and unify, we can speak with many, many voices that one in five people suffer from these illnesses, and we are not giving them the research dollars that they should have in order to find those cures. All right, let's take some phone calls. Uh, Jeff is in Lancaster. Jeff, you're on the air. Hi. Hi. Um, I had two uh Sorry, hold on. Sorry, I had a, a, a two comments. Uh, number one was about the uh, about the, the idea of how depression is seen in society. Um, I feel like that, as far as depression goes, it's one of those things that, in general, we as society have accepted that depression is out there, but it's not okay for the individual to have depression. Mm. Um, you know, like, you know, it's, it's okay that it's out there, but I can't have it. It's not okay that I have it. Um, and then the other thing is that uh, just kind of the insidious nature of depression. Uh, I've suffered it from it for a number of years. And the thing that I've noticed more than anything else is that um, it makes you feel horrible, but it makes you feel just good enough that it makes you feel like this is the best it's ever going to get. So why bother doing anything about it? it? You know, it's just good enough that, you know, you feel like, well, this is as good as it will get. Hmm. Well, yeah, that, you you hit the nail on the head with that one. That yep. is absolutely true. That's the disease talking to you too. That you know, I, that's how I, I I speak to people about it. And so, you know, if you can understand that, that's not really true, but it's your reality because you're suffering from the illness. And so you have to have other people around you that are support system and have them say, no, don't give up. You know, hope 
um, I use the word hope. Hold on, pain ends. That's hope, okay? And now you can go to the American Mental Wellness Association website and read certain things. We have a blog now. There's going to be a whole lot going on. We're going to continue to improve it where you can see that people do get well. You do not have to be at that level of for the rest of your life. Jeff, how are you doing now? Um, you know, I've been on medication for a number of years. I have a therapist I see. Um, you know, I'm, I'm doing pretty well with it. You know, once in a while there's a, a flare-up, but I know how to handle it now, which is, you know, really, really beneficial. So, mm. Hey, well, good luck to you. Thank you very much. <laughs> First thing that Jeff said, though, that, yes, we have uh, we've admitted as a society that we know that there are a lot of people out there that are suffering from depression but not you, not me. We don't want that to happen. What about that? I mean, that ma- that makes so much sense. Yeah, that's definitely part of the, the discrimination and the prejudice that people have against mental illness. And I also want to bring up another point, and I'm sure Jeff has probably experienced this, but, you know, you already have a prejudice against people who have mental illness, and that's already really tough to overcome. But it's even more for men. Because men are not allowed to be emotional. Men are not allowed to be sad. Like, you have to be tough, and you have to pull yourself up by your bootstraps, and you have to get over it. And that's kind of what our society tells us. And so, actually, very interestingly, uh, fun fact, that especially with men, depression often tends to come out as anger. And so when a man is depressed, and again, this is very general, this isn't everyone, but general expectation is, is usually when a man is depressed, they tend to be irritable and they tend to be angry and they tend to lash out. And so oftentimes we tend to miss depression in men because they're not sad and crying the way that we tend to think of depression. Mm. And and I, I just want to say to the people that are listening, if you think you're a kind, gentle, caring, compassionate person, then you need to stop thinking that depression shouldn't be acceptable in your eyes by someone else living with it, okay? You're impairing the ability for people to get well. They're medical conditions. We need to embrace these people. I call them my heroes. Anyone who suffers from any mental health problem, as far as I'm concerned, is a hero because not only do they have to deal with getting well from a medical condition that came upon them to no fault of their own, they also have to fight going to get help. Because, first of all, I don't want people to know I have this because they're going to, you know, treat me badly. Mm -hmm. Nobody supports them with cards or letters except Please Live. (laughs) They have a wonderful arm to their organization that sends cards of encouragement to the person who's ill and the caregiver. So, please, let's put all this aside. No more stigma. No more discrimination. We're going to embrace people at as soon as we can, learn all the signs and symptoms by uh, going to the American Mental Wellness Association and becoming educated. And then we're going to get our world to be a happier, healthier America and and world. Let's take another call from Norman in Lancaster. Norman, you're on the air. Thank you. Uh, A couple couple quick questions to your guests. Uh, Frequently, we see more and more of articles, newspaper articles, or may know people uh, who are taking uh, medication for mental health sort of issue, and as soon as they start to feel much better, they discontinue that medication. Uh, any suggestions your guests might have as far as uh, helping uh, 
those individuals or people around them to deal with that issue when they come upon that. And I'll take uh, any suggestions off air. Thank All you. right. Thank you very much for your call. This is a real issue. Well, and, and a lot of people don't know that there is a document now in Pennsylvania and in other states as well that deals with um, mental health advance directives. And um, what you can do is when the person's doing very well, they fill out this mental health advance directive. And so if they start going off their medication because they have a disease that is telling them that they're okay now and they can go off the medication when really they, they really shouldn't, you have a document that they have given you authorization that's legal to help get them back on the medication even though they are not well enough to realize that they need to be on it. And we're trying to educate people about that too. That's one way you can help. The other way is we just need to continue to talk and get people educated that you need to take your medication and follow the doctor's orders. If the doctor wants you to go off your medication, you go off of it the way the doctor wants you to. If you are on blood pressure medication and you stop your blood pressure medication, you can die. It's no different. Because this is a, a fatal illness if you aren't getting the care that you need because suicide is very prevalent. And you many people succumb to suicide when they really need just to maintain uh, uh, their wellness by learning how to do it and have other people in a support system helping them. You know, one of the problems we deal with is that... Uh, I doubt you would find very many people who say, yeah, I like taking medication. I like remembering <laughs> it, to do it every day. And even if there are several medications especially, yeah, I really like that. So most people, if they had their choice, would prefer not to take the medication. The other part of it is that often there are side effects. And sometimes it can be a real challenge to get those medications right. Yeah, that's, that's one of the biggest frustrations with our current system. And I think if you ask any mental health professional, our current system is not perfect, and we are the first to admit that. So there's definitely a lot of frustrations. One of those frustrations is that medication reacts differently to different people. And so even though two people might have the same diagnosis, different medications may affect them differently. So a lot, especially whenever you're first getting into getting help, there's a lot of trial and error. And a lot of that just really needs to be closely monitored by a doctor and discussed. If you're having side effects that you don't like, bring it up with your doctor and find something that works better for you. Now, I will add that that happens to somebody that might have a type of, of cancer and they go on a medication that maybe doesn't work for them and then the doctor has to change it. It goes with someone who has diabetes who might not be able to take one medication but can take another. So we have to look at this mental illness issue as the medical condition it is and realize that everybody's different and a doctor knows what's going to be helpful we hope and if it isn't we, you get taken care of and get it changed but most importantly folks you need to have somebody there to help the individual who's sick you don't really leave a person who's suffering from cancer alone. There's a support system there. Again, you replace the I in mental illness with we, you get mental wellness. A couple of emails, uh, and, and I'm not going to use names because no, no one has asked me not to, but I'll uh, please provide information on the group talking about mental illness on teenagers on today's program. My teenage granddaughter just returned after three months of MIA. 
third time, I need to know what I can do on my way to a consultation now, but we'll check the website later. There are issues I don't know if my daughter can manage, so it's a family issue. All right. So am I understanding that it's the granddaughter yes. that is having issues? Yes. Okay. Um, oh, teenagers are so difficult, and I think that's one of the reasons why I love teenagers. <laughs> They're such a challenge, but it's great. Um, you know, when as a teenager, it is such a difficult time. I mean, just for any teenager. And I think as adults, we tend to repress how awful high school actually was. Um, but as a teenager, there's this epic struggle where you're trying to figure out who you are and what makes you unique. But at the same time, you're also trying to find where you belong. Because you don't want to be too unique because then you're weird. <laughs> but you also don't want to, you know, be just a clone of everybody else at high school. And so it's this really difficult battle during adolescence about what makes me unique and where do I fit in the world. And so that's kind of this overarching theme that especially happens with teenagers. And I think understanding that and being present and being empathetic with a teenager and saying, I know that you're being bullied at school or, you know, someone has the, bought the same prom dress as you. Something that maybe seems really insignificant to us as adults, but is really significant to a teenager. You have to treat their problems with respect <coughs> and you have to treat their problems as the serious problems that the teenagers perceive them to be. So being real, being empathetic and understanding that, you know what, high school kind of sucks. Let's be honest. No, you could not pay me to, enough money to go back to high school. So and I would, I, what I would, what I would say to that, um, to the the author of the email is to be real and to be empathetic. And it sounds like she's on her way to a consultation. I'm assuming that's a mental health consultation. Right. Right. So they're already taking the right steps. There's already a professional getting involved. I commend them for doing that. All right, let's take another phone call from May in Harrisburg. May, you're on the air. Hi, good morning. Thank you for this conversation. Thank you. Really appreciate WITF. Thank you. But as African-American, I mean, this is something that just recently, at least uh, that to my knowledge, have been actively using mental health facilities. How do you broach that subject with folks, family, neighbors who obviously are going through something? How do you broach this subject that you need professional help for for the whole the whole litany of, of family members, not just the person that exhibiting it directly. I'd like to address that. Um, there is now in the United States an eight-hour class you can take that's called Mental Health First Aid. It was based off of the CPR model. It's an international program, as you heard me say. And um, if you would like to have a mental health first aid class, you can talk to um, the American Mental Wellness Association through our email at info at AmericanMentalWellness.org. But that will help. And listening non-judgmentally to people and developing a relationship with them is the first step in helping to encourage them to go get help. And many times these people are so ill that they don't have the energy or the wherewithal to do it themselves, even to make the phone call. So you become their best friend and you help them along the way. Hey, May, thank you very much for your call. And we're running short on time and I wanted to try to get that. Probably not, won't get to some phone calls here, but uh, some of the questions that we had some uh, listeners asking wanted to say, uh, Jill from Mechanicsburg says, using the term mental health implies that mental disorders are not physical. 
Well, I don't like the name, the word mental health either, and and that's why I use mental wellness. Okay, we are working with um, an organization to get into corporations with mental safety and mental fitness, and so those are things that I think work better. We also have someone we know that uses emotional health, so people don't realize that emotional health relates to the full body, the nervous system, completely, and it is all physical. Everything is physical. The head and the body are connected. So I'm not a big fan of mental health. And as you can see, we, we try to use mental wellness. Mm. Uh, another uh, listener had a, a question. Do you support treatment other than medication? Oh, absolutely. Yes. Uh, and again, every, every human being is different. Um, and I know a lot of people are afraid to take medicine. Um, I still am definitely a fan of medicine because it's been researched and it's, you know, proven to work. But in addition to medicine, you know, there's a lot of supplements that you can take, like vitamins and minerals that have been proven to be very helpful, especially as a complement. Um, and even like, you know, mindfulness and, and yoga and Reiki and all of these kinds of different uh, mind-body therapies that aren't necessarily medicine or chemical, but they definitely have... Um, an effect on depression or anxiety. We have a section on the website that Alexa put alternative treatments because some people can't take medication because they're taking other medication that contraindicates it. So um, like um, acupuncture. And so, yes, we try to promote as much as we can on our website as to what might work for you so that you can go to the one-stop shop the American Mental Wellness Association, and find what you're looking for and link to other information about it. And we are almost out of time. I want to thank you very much, and I know our audience appreciates it because I'm seeing that with our emails and uh, some of the questions. And one thing I would encourage our listeners to do that if you do have a question, you do have a comment, you want to tell a story, it's a personal experience, uh, email us at smarttalk at witf.org, and I'll pass those uh, emails on to you, the two of you. And, uh, you know, if they can't find an answer immediately on the website, if there's something you would like to uh, answer directly, but that's smarttalk at witf.org. Sharon Engdahl is the executive director of the American Mental Wellness Association, and Alexa Moody is assistant director and founder of Please Live. Thank you very much for being with us today. Thank you for having us. Thank you very much for having us. And we do have links to both websites on our website, witf.org. So if you're looking for anything, right, you, know, you need some help, you're just looking for some information, some education, I encourage you to go to those websites and you can learn a whole lot. For more on this topic, plus a deeper look at the changing tide of health care, check out WITF's Transforming Health. From policy to personal choices, we're taking a comprehensive look at today's health system online at transforminghealth.org, a partnership of WITF, Penn State Health, and WellSpan Health. You're listening to Smart Talk on WITF, your home for NPR News and all things regional. I'm Scott Lamar. The Republican National Convention kicked off last night in Cleveland. Franklin and Marshall College political analyst and pollster Dr. G. Terry Madonna is in Cleveland and joins us. Dr. Madonna, how are you today? Good morning, Scott. A uh, little tired, but I'm well. <laughs> I, so yesterday was a big day. I just want to cover a couple things from yesterday at the convention and then what to expect uh, today. Uh, yesterday afternoon, we texted back and forth, and you said there wasn't a whole lot going on. And you said, hold on, wait, 
And then yeah. I, I assume that that was when uh, the rules started to be right. debated. Uh, and then once Melania Trump spoke last right. night, uh, that's what's getting all the attention today. But let's go back to the rules. You know, this seemed like, at least the explanation was, that this was the last attempt by the dump Trump movement or the anti-Trump forces to be able to do something about him being the nominee. Is that too simple an explanation? Well, no, I think that, well, that's a good part of it. The other part of it was they wanted to have their moment in the sun, the anti-Trump forces. They wanted to show how many people were there who weren't on board with Trump. And it took it was about a 15 minute uh, kerfuffle. It didn't last very long. There was some booing and uh, the Colorado delegation that led the free the delegate movement. That's another way it's been put. Free the delegates means that on the first ballot, bound delegates would be free. They could vote for anyone. And look, and they wanted a roll call state by state. Uh, there were. Uh, nine states that asked for a roll call originally, right? Oh, nine states. Three of them dropped out, with, rescinded it, leaving only six. You needed seven to get the roll call vote. So they, they, that's why they had to go and make the motion to do it instead of having it done more simply under the rules. And then the, the speaker gaveled down the request very quickly after a yay and nay vote, and then it, it all turned to booze, and it was over pretty quickly. And as I said yesterday, this is a Trump convention. Make no mistake about it. The, the, yes, there are some alienated, you know, folks who aren't for Trump, and there's some alienated Republicans, Trump, you know. But by and large, this convention will do pretty much what the Trump campaign works. But I think more importantly is how could some staffers put in front of Melania Trump direct quotations from Michelle Obama's 2008 speech. That's what's getting the all the camp- attention today. Yeah, and I'm telling you, it was well-received. It was one of those moments that was supposed to be, every convention has three or four of the, of the, of the big moments. That was one of them. It was well-delivered. And heartfelt, you could tell that. And so now you find out that there were two two parts of it that were lifted, quite frankly, from Michelle Obama. Twenty-two of twenty-six words in one case, word for word, Scott. So no, I don't get. Go ahead. Well, I was going to say so. Today, if they if, if someone didn't catch Melania Trump's speech last night, what they're going to be looking for are those 22 out of the 26 words and not yeah. uh, the message that yeah. they wanted to get across in the convention. That's right. I mean, the last thing you want in what was otherwise a pretty good day with lots of heartfelt speakers, uh, the, the, the mothers, the fathers of people, in some cases killed in Benghazi, in other cases killed by uh, it, you know illegal immigrants, I mean, it was heartfelt. You could tell that. And I'm not getting into whether you know, they're right or wrong about immigration. That's not the point. But it, they, it got the message all tripped up. And that's the one thing you don't want. And as you point out, now look, it's not the first time that we've had plagiarism in American politics. Ask Joe Biden, <laughs> for example. And, and, you know, I think there was even an instance involving President Obama. It's not going to cost Trump the 
you know, a lot votes. But the fact is, it's not the message that you want after the opening day. Yeah. Well, Terry, we only have about four minutes left. What about the Pennsylvania delegation? I saw that uh, Donald Trump Jr. made a surprise visit this yeah. morning. Uh, yeah. But you also heard from the speaker, Paul Ryan, yesterday, who and, said that Pennsylvania— And Joni Ernest today and Senator Sessions. I mean, but, go ahead. Now, what I was going to say is that and Paul Ryan pointed out to the Pennsylvania delegation that they could be the deciders in the November election. No, no, you're absolutely right. Yeah. Uh, what was fascinating about the Ryan speech was that he said he only mentioned Donald Trump twice. You know, he's not a big supporter, even though he's talking tonight. Uh, and, but here's what's fascinating. He went on and on and on and on, just as I'm going on and on, about, uh, about Mike Pence and how great a VP choice he was. Uh, and what he said about Clinton and Trump was fascinating. He said, Clinton and Trump, a binary choice, meaning if I got one or the other, I know who I'm taking. It's not that we're done with any enthusiasm. Now, Joni Ernest and Jeff Sessions are a, a lot different, as you would expect, and they were much more on to the issues that confront the uh, campaign. And tonight, we got a lot more heavy heavyweights. You know, you got Chris Christie, uh, let's see who else. Donald Trump Jr. will be ad addressing uh, the convention. You have Mitch McConnell. Uh, Ryan, by the way, will address the convention. And this is on the jobs, on the situation with jobs. But overall, the Pennsylvania delegation's role in this is certainly taking on added importance. You're exactly right. Uh, Terry, about uh, 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 about two minutes here. Uh, the Pennsylvania delegation, uh, they're right up front. So yeah. this year, Pennsylvania is being viewed as a swing state, even though it hasn't voted Republican since 1998, or excuse me, 1988. So, yeah. uh, I mean, you as a political analyst, as a pollster, is Pennsylvania in play this year? Yeah, I would say at the moment, given what we see in the polls, the answer is yes. I mean, we're going to play this out through the course of the campaign. By mid-August, we'll have a better sense of, you know, whether we're truly in play or not. But I don't think there's any doubt uh, the Clinton lead in our state is in low single digits, 1%, 2%, you know. Uh, some of the polls, uh, one of the polls actually showed uh, uh, Trump ahead. Uh, I don't, and the campaigns are indicating, certainly the Trump campaign and the super PACs on both Clinton and the Trump side have clearly indicated we're in play. And I think we'll see many more visits than we did in 2012 and a lot more ads. We'll get a little better sense of that, Scott, by the middle of August after the race settles down from these conventions. Mm. Uh, yeah, and it would seem from what you've uh, talked about with the first night and uh, the attention on uh, the, the plagiarism issue uh, that uh, if it goes smoother, then maybe uh, Trump does get that bump. But if things continue like that, like it did last yeah. night, maybe not. So Yeah, unity, remember, is something I pointed yesterday. Right. What they want is unity, but they also want enthusiasm, right? They want to, Everybody wants to leave the convention with their voters motivated. And uh, they don't want another night where they're looking back over missteps and right. miscues. Right. Dr. G. Terry Madonna is political analyst and pollster at Franklin and Marshall College. And Terry, how about we talk to you tomorrow, too? Let's do it. All right. Thank you, Terry.
Coming up on uh, tomorrow's program, Pennsylvania has been one of the nations and we continue to be one of the nation's leaders this year in instances of Lyme disease. And uh, we're right at the height of Lyme disease season right now, at least with the ticks being outside. So we'll talk about Lyme disease. Also hear from Terry Bedana tomorrow from Cleveland.